Let's open the Scriptures to the prophecies of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. This is in connection with what we confess concerning the church in Belgic Confession 29, Article 29. And in Ezekiel 34, the Lord speaks about a time when He will function as shepherd in place of the false shepherds in the flock of Israel. He will Himself shepherd His people. And you can see that that time is fulfilled at the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read Ezekiel 34. We're going to read the whole chapter, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden down with your feet 
and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they the house of Israel are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. I invite you to turn with me in the book of praise to Belgic Confession, Article 29, where the teaching of God's Word concerning the church and the marks of the true and the false church are confessed. This is our confession. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the Word of God what is the true church. For all sects which are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. We are not speaking here of the hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good and yet are not part of the church, although they are outwardly in it. We are speaking of the body and the communion of the true church, which must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church is to be recognized by the following marks. It practices the pure preaching of the gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It exercises church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Hereby, the true church can certainly be known, and no one has the right to separate from it. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Flee from sin and pursue righteousness. Love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the left or to the right or left and crucify their flesh and its works. Although a great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. 
They appealed constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in Him. The false church assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the Word of God. It does not want to submit itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in His Word, but adds to them and subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the Word of God and who rebuke the, rebuke the false church for its sins, greed, and idolatries. These two churches are easily recognized and distinguished from each other. So far, our confession. In response uh, to the preaching, we'll sing Psalm 23 about our shepherd, our good shepherd who leads us. We'll sing all three stanzas. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we come this afternoon to Article 29 of the Belgic Confession, probably one of the most quoted articles in the Confession. It touches, after all, on a hot button issue in our time, the whole notion of the true church versus the false church, who hasn't been in a discussion about what the church is. Which of us hasn't met people from non-reformed churches, sincere people, and wondered what to think of their church? Are all churches outside of the Reformed and Presbyterian churches to be considered false? Or are all churches legitimate churches, just somewhere on a spectrum from less faithful to more faithful? Not so easy to determine those questions. A lot of confusion surrounds the matter of the church. And Article 29 is quoted as much to be criticized as it is to be confessed. There's more than one person who feels that this article is completely out of step or out of date. What might have been obvious, some say, in the 16th century, what might have been easy to decide then between the true church and the false church is no longer obvious today with our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of denominations. Isn't it time, some say, that we updated the confession? Well, brothers and sisters, in the midst of all the debate, we need to take a deep breath and we need to take a fresh look at Article 29 and its context. What is it really saying? What is it not saying? It may be one of the most quoted articles, but I suspect it's also one of the most misunderstood. We have to see this confession, this article, how it fits in with, with the rest of the articles because there's a flow of thought. And most importantly, what teaching of the Scriptures it's bringing together. And to start us off, we remind ourselves of what we've seen so far in the Belgic. In Article 27, we confess there what the church is, a basic definition, scriptural definition. Then Article 28, what our duty as believers is toward the church. And now in 29, where a believer can find this church. That's 
the focal question. It's an important question also for our brother Matthew. The Good Shepherd calls him, as he does all of us, to enter into his one flock. We saw that from John 10. The Good Shepherd gathers his sheep into the flock. So, how does Matthew know that this assembly in Ancaster is that one flock? How can he tell? How can we know which gathering is Christ's flock and which is not? I bring you then this word of the Lord, summarized with this question, where can sheep find the shepherd's one flock? We'll see the shepherd's voice and the shepherd's encouragement. Well, Article 29 is very plain with its purpose, setting it out in the opening sentence. We believe and confess. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the Word of God what is the true church. For all sects that are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. So let's notice a couple of things in particular about the wording. We must discern diligently and carefully from the Word of God what the church is. This is the very same thing we saw in the other articles on the church, and it's very deliberately done. We rest our faith, we rest our practices squarely on what the Word of God teaches. We don't make it up. We go back to the Word and we derive our understanding from the Word. This is our confession based on the Word. And then notice that we say here this is not to be done rashly or quickly with little thought, but rather with care, with time, with diligence, we say. Our confession knows that this matter of the church is not an easy matter, so we have to take our time. We have to take care with it. We don't make hasty judgments, but yet on the basis of God's Word, we do make careful judgments about the church. We are to discern, we confess, what is the true church. Notice the word true. Up until now, in the other articles, the Belgic has only spoken about the church. The church has been described as the one church of Christ, the holy church of Christ, the Catholic church of Christ, but only now does the Belgic bring in the adjective true. Why? Because not every assembly that calls itself church is in fact church. The word true is the opposite of the word fake. The Belgic Confession uses the word true in other contexts where there is confusion about something that's legitimate and something illegitimate, where there's a pretender and there's a real thing. So in Article 24, it speaks about true faith. You can have somebody who pretends to be a believer, but then you also have true faith. That's Article 24. Earlier in Article 22, it speaks about the true knowledge of God. People can think they know something about God, but it's a false knowledge. So from the Scriptures, we have a true knowledge of God. Article 19 speaks about Christ being true man, so full and legitimate man and true God. Well, similarly here in Article 29, when we are faced with an array of 
different assemblies with many differences between them and yet all claiming the name church, we have to add the qualifier true and figure out how we can pick out which assembly is in fact that Catholic, holy, one church of Christ. How do we do that? And we think, well, it's impossible. There's tens of thousands of churches in the world. How do we do that? Well, you know, it's not so unique, this problem, to the 21st century. Also, the Reformers in the 16th century were faced with a variety of assemblies, as Guido de Bray writes here, for all sects which are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. He's talking about Sex, that's another name for a gathering. And he knew of many gatherings like the assortment of Anabaptist groups in his time. There was a whole range of Anabaptist believers. They didn't necessarily get along between themselves, so they were in pockets here and there and everywhere. There were also other Christians who were not Anabaptistic, but they pulled out of the Roman Catholic Church. They did not go to the Reformed Church. They did not go to the Lutheran Church, but they stayed by themselves in small groups. They called them conventicles. They chose not to join those other faithful churches, but remained isolated following their own peculiar teachings. That's originally what that word sect means that's used here in Article 29. The word means following. If you go back far enough, you'll find that as a root. So those who follow a certain way of thinking are said to belong to a sect. They're followers of a certain peculiar teaching. So in a Christian context, there were Christian groups who followed peculiar, particular teachings of their own which deviated from the Word of God. That's what Article 29 is getting at when it talks about sex. So in the Reformation, same as today, believers were confronted by all manner of groups or sects with their conflicting teachings, each claiming to be church. How then was a sheep of the 16th century or the 21st century to decide which one is legitimate, which one is true? But well, before we delve into that a little further, it's helpful to see that Article 29, in the first place, is trying to distinguish between the true church and sex. Notice that the false church is not mentioned until the final paragraph. But in this opening paragraph, it is twice mentioned that the true church has to be distinguished from sex. Sometimes when we think of Article 29, we limit ourselves to considering only two possibilities. Either churches are true or churches are false, and we, we get into this binary. And then false, as described by the last paragraph of Article 29, which we read, so the false church, among other things, also persecutes true believers. But when we think only in those two categories, we usually run stuck because while we can see many assemblies holding to certain errors and not administering the sacraments as Christ taught, yet most of them are not 
persecuting true believers. And so we wonder about that. Also, the people we know who attend these assemblies appear to be very sincere, and we are hesitant to call their assemblies a false church. But we should understand that our confession has another category, a third category. Actually, it's the primary one uh, in this article. It's the category of sect. The false church was once a true church which became corrupt and turned against the Lord and goes its own way. The false church is the church corrupted, you could say. But a Christian sect is a breakaway group that is zealous to follow their own peculiar teachings. There can be quite a variety among such sects, some closer to the truth, some further from the truth, but one of the key things is that a sect chooses to separate themselves from the one true holy Catholic Church because of their peculiar teaching. They consider there's something false in the true church that they're not teaching, and they go off and they follow their own way. We're going to we're going to do that teaching. We're going to believe that teaching here in our group. They may be true believers, okay? They may well be true believers, but then they would be true believers convinced of erroneous things. They have become deaf to the voice of the Good Shepherd on those points. Remember how the Lord Jesus spoke about that description of the sheep in John 10. We read that a couple of Sundays ago. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Christ was working with the imagery of Ezekiel 34, which we read. There the Lord God prophesies of a time when He will come and shepherd His people directly in person. He will do this because Israel, His flock, had been suffering from a, a whole series of false shepherds of leaders who did not take care of the flock, who did not feed the sheep, who did not protect and nurture the flock of God, as was the shepherd's duty. And so the Lord announces there in Ezekiel 34, and I will bring them out, my, my flock, out from the peoples and gather them from the country. So this is all after the exile. He's speaking about a time in the future when He will restore them. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Now you can see how the Lord Jesus fulfills that prophecy, right? He, he comes and He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep. They listen to my voice. I give them what they need. The Lord Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, fulfilling Ezekiel 34, functioning as the good shepherd. He's gathering that one flock. He's, he's feeding His sheep with the riches of His Word, with the gospel of His own sacrifice. So Jesus Christ, He calls His sheep, and the sheep hear, and they follow Him into the flock. The true sheep, they follow Him into the flock. People who leave the flock to form a gathering of their own, can that gathering really be called the church of Christ? 
people who break away from the flock, are they really following the good shepherd? They might be sheep who are sincere and confused, who pulled away because of their confusion. They, they might be simply disobedient sheep who've left in their error, who think it's okay to be out on their own. But that's exactly then what they are. They are sheep outside the flock who have left behind that one Catholic holy flock of the Good Shepherd. And somewhere on some point or other, they're not listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. That's the prime mark of the true church. If the church is Christ's flock, which follows His voice, then an assembly which does not obediently follow Christ's voice cannot be described as the true church. Article 29 mentions this mark in the second paragraph. The true church is to be recognized by the following marks. It practices the pure preaching of the gospel. That word pure, that just means faithful to the Scriptures. It means just giving the Word of God in all of its purity, its faithfulness, not bringing in the opinions of men. A sect which has broken with the true church over a point of doctrine and therefore no longer teaches that pure doctrine cannot be said to be church. When it comes to that point, and almost always there's other doctrines associated with it, the assembly that has departed, they do not listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. And again, they may be doing this in all good conscience. They sincerely believe that they do what is right. But then, brothers and sisters, they are sincerely still wrong. They are in error, and they have wrongly separated from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me also add, that is not to say that we deny salvation to such people. That just isn't our call. The true church does not make judgments about those who are outside the church. As Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 5, we, we don't judge those outside. We have to be busy with the sheep that are inside. We also note, noted clearly in Article 28 that as true church, we observe very plainly that there are true believers outside the church. Some are out there on their own, just as individual believers. Some are out there in the false church, especially in the time of the Reformation, that was very much the case. Some stayed in the Roman Catholic Church, which was the false church of the day. Others were caught up with the errors of the Anabaptists or other sects. The confession calls out to them. We today, as faithful church, we call out to these believers. We call out longingly. We call out mercifully. We call out patiently. We call out with great hope that Christ will bring them to see the error of their ways and bring them back to unite with His true church. We don't want to see them out there. We want to see them back in here. Nor by saying these things do we portray ourselves or think of ourselves as a sinless church without anything to learn 
or anything to improve upon. Not at all. The true church, we've seen that too, is under construction. It's a work in progress. It's far from complete, far from perfect. It's made up of sinners like me, sinners like you. How can it be perfect? Article 29, we confess there that great weakness remains in Christians. Great weakness. We know that from all over Scripture, right? We confess that every Sunday morning. How much weakness remains in each of us because of our sinfulness still. So we as Christians have to always be checking ourselves against the Word of God, both as individuals and corporately as church. We have to be asking ourselves the question, are we following? Am I following the voice of the Good Shepherd? Or have I got a deaf ear to some of His commands? Do I cherry-pick His commands? That's why it's so important. Also for you, Matthew, to study, to keep studying the words of the shepherd. I, I know we talked about this, that you study every week and maybe more than every week with a group. You study the words of God in Scripture. You study it also on your own. Keep doing that truthfully, honestly. Ask the hard questions of yourself as you read the Word. Am I, Matthew, obeying this Word? We all need to do that. We have to believe what Christ says. We have to do what Christ commands. We can't just bypass it or ignore it. So let us all, alongside of Matthew, be shaped constantly and formed in our thinking constantly so that we speak and act according to the will of God. By the grace of God, this assembly gathered here in Ancaster is committed 100% to follow Christ, to doing things according to the Word of God. We would be happy to correct any error. Are we doing something wrong according to Scripture? Do we believe something wrong according to Scripture? Have we got a practice that's wrong according to Scripture? Please show us. We will correct because we want to follow the Good Shepherd. And that's why we may lay claim to the name of church. Not that we're so good or spotless, but we are genuine flock of Christ because of the work of Christ. And so we thank God for that. The true sheep of the Good Shepherd, they hear and they recognize the voice of the Shepherd. And they come and they go where He can be heard in the preaching and where Christ can be seen in the sacraments. For Article 29 mentions a second mark to help us identify where to find the one holy Catholic church. Second mark, it maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. So again, pure, faithful to Scripture. That's what we're talking about. It, in the church, we have received from the Lord Jesus two sacraments, you know, holy baptism and holy supper. The holy Catholic church will not 
only preach Christ's word faithfully, but it also administers the sacraments according to the Lord's direction. And there's a very uh, tight connection between preaching and sacraments. The sacraments, you will remember, they are, they're nothing more than holy, visible signs and seals. What are they signs and seals of? They're signs and seals of the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is what is preached here every Sunday. So the preaching presents the promise in, in verbal form. The sacraments lay out the promise in picture form. We're going to have that next Sunday in the Lord's Supper, God willing. In other words, it's the same message. Christ has ordained that the gospel be preached from the pulpit in every one of His churches, and Christ has ordained that the gospel promise be underlined and pictured in every one of His churches by the proper biblical administration of baptism and Lord's Supper. The assemblies which preach faithfully will also administer the signs and seals faithfully. And the reverse is true as well. It has to be because the sacraments, they, they flow out of the preaching. They agree with the preaching. In the church of, of the Good Shepherd, the pictures, sacraments, have to match the message. The pictures have to match the message. Otherwise, something's totally wrong. So these two marks, and there's a third mark. We hope to deal with that another time about church discipline. But these first two marks, they're public, right? They are visible. You, you can apply this as a very simple test when you are examining different assemblies that you encounter. Does this assembly preach God's Word faithfully according to Scripture? Does this assembly also faithfully administer the sacraments according to God's Word? It's a straightforward set of marks that can be applied to uh, virtually every assembly because these are publicly done. Discipline is something that's eventually will become public, but very often is more behind the scenes, so it's a bit more involved. But for example, there are Christian assemblies, so people who confess the name of Christ, but they have no sacraments. The Salvation Army is one such, often very sincere people, the Salvation Army folks. But that's not a true church, is it? That is a sect. They've gone their own way following a peculiar teaching about having no sacraments. You also find assemblies which let anyone and everyone in to celebrate the Lord's Supper. A supper which Scripture teaches is given by Christ to His followers, to His sheep, not to the goats. But the, those churches, they don't distinguish between sheep and goat. Yet the Good Shepherd will not have His holy meal profaned, 1 Corinthians 11. There needs to be a distinction between sheep and goats. There needs to be self-examination. There needs to be a certain supervision by the authorities in the church. And the same goes for holy baptism, which was a major issue in the time of the Reformation especially for the Anabaptists. So those would be groups like the Mennonites, um, the Amish and the Hutterites as we know them today. In the early 17th century, so about 
50 years after the Belgic was written, certain other groups sprung up, mostly in England, assemblies which today go by the name Baptist. Well, whether it's Baptist or Anabaptist, in both situations, these believers, they pulled out of the true church because they believed that baptizing babies was wrong. They thought that was an error. They thought that was a false teaching. They were convinced, still are convinced, that children have no formal place in the church of Christ, that babies and, and infants and small children may not be considered members of the church until they were of age to profess their faith. So strong was this conviction in these Baptist believers that they broke away from the faithful churches they were part of, churches that had been established all over Europe of the day. How now do we look at such gatherings? Are such gatherings, however sincere the people may believe, uh, be? And I underline that, okay, because I know we all run into Baptists, and there's lots of very sincere Baptists. But their teaching and the teaching of the Catholic Church cannot coincide. They can't both be right. can't both be correct. So if their teaching is incorrect, erroneous, which we believe it to be, are these groups not simply sects which follow their own teachings on that point and related matters? On those points, the voice of the shepherd cannot be heard, and the sacrament of baptism is not purely administered. To make this a bit more real, just consider parents in a Baptist church. They've, they have a baby. What, what are they told about that baby? Well, you, you must dedicate that baby to the Lord. You bring the baby, and we'll have a service of dedication. You must teach that baby and train up that child and pray over that child. And we as congregation, they will say, will help you in that in the hope that one day this child will give his heart to the Lord and become saved. But your child is not a member of this church. And your child does not yet have a relationship with Christ. Your child does not have his sins forgiven until he or she comes to the point of faith. But we hope and pray that there will be a conversion in your child's heart So the child is not looked upon as a child of God. And that is erroneous, brothers and sisters, to say the least. Is that what the good shepherd teaches us in his word? Is that what the Lord Jesus Christ says to you as parents when you bring your baby forward? That this baby has got no relation to me until the baby can say something to me with a heart of faith? Already in Ezekiel 34 and, and other chapters in Ezekiel, the Lord speaks about the new covenant time, the time, that era that the Lord Jesus Christ ushered in as the good shepherd, and he speaks about gathering in a flock. Well, when you gather in a flock, brothers and sisters, you're gathering in the little lambs and the teenage lambs and the adult lambs and the middle-aged lambs and all the gray lambs too. You don't distinguish. The, the word flock is, is indistinguishable in terms of who's in the flock. In this chapter 34, the gathered people of God are called just that, a people. They're called elsewhere in Ezekiel, a nation. And these words, these, these names are repeated in, in Peter's first letter. 
The church is a people. It's a holy nation. Well, you can't have a nation unless you have children to old-timer in that nation. A nation is not just adults, not just people who can speak and confess. The Lord's gathering a people, a community from toddler, infant to old-timer. Remember how the Lord promised to Abraham children, to give him children. He promised to include the children in his covenant. He said to Abraham, make sure that you circumcise the, the baby boys on the eighth day, and if anybody refuses to be circumcised, that person will be cut off from my church. God, the good shepherd, has viewed the children of believers as his children. They're his gifts. They're his lambs. You could read about this same concept in, in the Gospel of Luke 18, where Mothers were bringing little children, even babies, says Luke, to Jesus to be blessed by Him, but the disciples rebuke the mothers from, for doing that, and then Jesus turns and He rebukes His disciples. Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Let them come to Me. Bring the babies to Me. That's the voice of the Good Shepherd talking. That's what, that's what the Good Shepherd said about Matthew 18 years ago when Matthew was baptized. That's what he says about all the children of his people. These babies are my gift to you. They are my children. They've got a place in my kingdom and in my church. They are heirs of my grace. Let them come. Do not forbid them. So when the Baptists say, that babies and toddlers of believers have no place in God's covenant and no place in God's congregation. They go directly against the voice and the will of the Good Shepherd. Of course, we all know that these children must grow up and respond in faith. That's also in Scripture. That's the calling of the covenant. There's no automatic salvation just by being baptized, you have to respond in faith. That's all part of it. But they start life in that relationship, that holy relationship with God called His covenant, claimed by God as legitimate members of His church. That's how it's always been in the holy Catholic Church of Christ. Christ feeding His sheep through the preaching as well as through the sacraments, holding out His covenant promises and the obligation as well, the pointing of all the sheep to the Savior Jesus Christ. Remember, brothers and sisters, what God has pledged to you in your baptism and claim it by faith. And next Sunday, when we as congregation are preparing to, to celebrate the supper, and He invites us to His banqueting table, come and be assured of the Good Shepherd's love for you. Think about that over the next seven days. He's going to lay a table here. He's going to give us His bread. He's going to give us His wine. He's going to say to us, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. He wants to picture for us the promise of the gospel so that we can be encouraged and refreshed. 
the Lord says to us through these things, claim the promise. Matthew, you'll get to celebrate the Lord's Supper next week with us. We look forward to that. So you and all of us claim these promises, says the Lord. The promise of forgiveness, the promise of renewal, the promise of comfort. And then be motivated and empowered by the Spirit of Christ to live as the sheep of Christ. The Lord has set you apart as His holy nation, as His flock. Let's live that way. Amen.